You're listening to DevOps and Docker Talk, and I'm your host, Brett Fisher. These are edited audio-only versions of my YouTube live show that you can join every Thursday at brett.live. This podcast is sponsored by my Patreon members. I'd like to thank all the paid supporters that make this show possible. You can get more info and follow my updates on all the content and open source I'm creating at patreon.com slash brettfisher. And as a reminder, all the links for this show, the topics we discuss, as well as the links I've already mentioned, are available on the podcast website at podcast.brettfisher.com. All right, we're back this week with another show from the 2020 archive with a friend of mine, Zaid Sabia of Z Security. So if you go Googling around, look for Z Security with no space. And he's got a great website. All this is in the show notes around security, pen testing, vulnerabilities, all sorts of really interesting security topics, and also has a fantastic YouTube channel that is very popular. Of course, he's got courses on Udemy. At this point, I think he's got over 700,000 students. He's quite popular on the internet for all of his fantastic ethical hacking courses and videos. We go on a deep dive about all the content he's creating, what you can find out there. And then we just get into a bunch of topics from Q&A that people are asking questions about. And we're a little bit all over the board, but I found it really interesting. I learned a bunch and hopefully you learned some stuff too about security topics in IT, ethical hacking and a whole bunch more. What's up, Zaid? How are you doing? Good. I'm glad to have you finally on this show. Like, tell people who you are. So my name is Zaid, like you said. Right now, I run Zed Security, so it's a cybersecurity company. And we do a number of things at the moment. So we teach courses, we teach ethical hacking. So mainly we do everything related to cybersecurity. We teach courses, we provide a lot of free resources as well. So on the YouTube channel and on our channel, lots of free um, articles. I started basically just providing free stuff on the internet. So that's something I enjoyed. So kind of brought that back recently, not recently, two years ago. Other than that, we provide other ethical hacking and cybersecurity services. So we provide consultancy, pen testing, code review. We also have our own VPN company. And we're working on our own bug bounty platform at the moment. We're doing competitions as well. So places for people to practice hacking legally. And they win prizes if they, if they manage to hack the companies or whatever. Obviously not real companies, they're the targets that they get. So yeah, lots of uh, different services all revolve around cybersecurity and ethical hacking. That's a lot. Holy cow, I, I forgot about the VPN and I didn't know, I mean, you've got so much stuff going on. It's really cool to see you and the team, like all the ideas coming out of there. Yeah, definitely check them out on Z Security Twitter over here. I'm putting some of the links in chat and and the YouTube channel I put up there. So definitely go check that out, especially if you want to kind of understand some of the internals of what's going on underneath your systems and how to break them and figure out how they work and stuff like that. That's what hacking is all about. So definitely um, look up why hacking is legal because lots of people look at hackers as criminals. So yeah, if you think they are, check out that video. We have lots of topics. We could go down rabbit holes for hours and we have... So this is all about like community here. Some of you are from DevOps, some of you are from security. We've got this nice mismatch today. So let's talk about where they intersect. And for a lot of us in DevOps, our job is to take code that the developers are making. Maybe we're the developer, maybe there's someone else making the code 
And then we've got to get it in front of customers. So that means we've got to figure out how to test it, make sure it works properly, maybe scan it for CVE vulnerabilities, something like that. And then we've got to get it on servers that might be in a data center or on the internet, or maybe just in our own house. So a lot of us, when we think about security, it's such a huge topic. The first thing for containers we tend to do nowadays, because a container allows us to have this single object of a tarball that we can do a security scan. So it's become really easy in the DevOps space to just take the tarball of your application and all its dependencies. So if it's a Python app, it's your app plus Python and all the pip libraries and all the things that you need. And you can scan that as its own entity and basically dump out a nice CVE list, which we didn't really have before. Like before containers, we had to scan servers and then that was very dependent upon the server it was on. But now we can just really focus on the container itself. So beyond that though, a lot of times I don't know what advice to give people on how they can check. I mean, pen testing is a word, but what is that? What are we really talking about? I can install the app on the server and I can run it, but then how do I even know what a hacker might do or what attempts they might make in my system? I don't even know where to start from that. Yeah, so that's why even now when, we, when we're building something, if we're building our own, for example, whatever platform, like we're building a bug bounty platform right now. So what we usually separate the development and the testing from the security testing. Like you said, you can do all these tests and get pull a list of all the CVEs and all that. But we usually, once we're done with everything, so as we're developing, we're trying to make sure we're following everything to make sure that it is as secure as possible and all that. But we don't pay too much attention of how, what would a hacker do if he has this platform right in front of him? So we wait until the end, until we're happy with everything we've done. And we actually just literally try to hack the website, again, the same way that a hacker would do, because they would follow different methods than uh, what you're thinking of. Because usually when you're thinking, if you're developing something, you're kind of stuck within the function or the method or the goal of your code at the moment. And you can't really think outside the box or think if there is another function in your website or in your whatever platform you're building that could be combined with this function and both of them would actually result in weakness. So we always wait for everything is done, everything is ready basically to give to the client or ready to go public if it's our own platform. Uh, and then you go ahead and try to hack it, even if you don't know the code, because most of the time hackers can't really see your code if you develop this in-house, unless you're using a ready program like uh, WordPress or something else. You kind of pretend that you don't even know the code. You simply start by using the actual platform. So what it is, is it a social network? Is it just a video website? What is it? So you start using it same, the same way that the users use it. If it can, if you can sign up through it, we're going to sign up. If you can upload pictures, we're going to upload pictures. You test every single functionality of it and see if any of these functionalities or any of these features can be exploited in any ways to um, gain any kind of access or even get information that you're not supposed to get. Sometimes you get tiny little pieces of information. And they might seem insignificant, but then combined with other stuff and other information, they actually add up to something that could be very useful. Wow. That's a really great explanation. <laughs> yeah. When you're not working with professionals like yourself every day, because a lot of companies don't, don't hire people like you, right? Like they don't, they don't bring in these, whether it's they, hire or, they get hard, right? Yeah. Which is like when they don't, it's kind of like the whole like, cryptos situation with, oh my goodness, when they encrypt your data and then they ask for money. Oh yeah. Yeah. The human ransomware. 
Ransomware, thank you. Oh, we got ransomware. Can you get rid of it? Well, they used a very strong encryption. Right. That we have back. Do we have backups that we can restore? Well, yeah, but it'll take like three days. Mm, maybe we should have asked that question before the ransomware. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. so that's the same problem. I think with a lot of security stuff is it's not a problem. And it's just like to me, I mean, ops has a little bit of that challenge, too, because I come from that sys background of managing servers. And if you do really well out of the gate and your servers never go down, then no one thinks op operations and monitoring and auto failure recovery are, is important. But then when it goes down, no one knows how to bring it back up. No one even knew it went down because the monitoring kind of sucks. You're, you're, you're doing layer eight monitoring where it's basically the customer that tells you that things are down. Then that's when the company suddenly cares about it and they want to spend some money. Uh, yeah, it's, it's because it's hard to measure the benefit out of getting a pen test done. Because if you spend, for example, for companies, they know if they spend $1,000 on marketing, they'll get, for example, 1500 That's why they scaled that up to hundreds and, and thousands yeah. because they know how much they're getting back. Whereas with a pen test, yeah, like you said, you might actually have a very secure application and I might come in and do a pen test and discover nothing. And so, right. or I could discover stuff that will save you millions. So there's no way for you to measure what's the value of this pen test. And when I ask for a high price, you'll be like, hmm, do I need to spend that much money on whatever company or whatever platform do I have? And what, yeah. what's the value that is adding to the company? Because at the end of the day, everybody is just trying to maximize their profits. So yeah. That can play a big role in it. That's a great point of view too, because tech is business, right? Every company might be a tech company nowadays, as the saying goes, but it's still a business and they still, they're still going to minimize the cost and increase, increase the profit. All right. So we already got some great questions in the chat. Can you tell us whether is a bounty, is a bounty job, is doing bounties better or is it having a job better? <laughs> What's your opinion? What's your take on that? It depends on what kind of a job that you're doing. Chasing bounties is fun and is good if you're really good at it, but you could be chasing a bounty for about three months uh, and it turns out to be nothing. But then at the end of the day, it might actually be a valid one and you get paid like 30 or 40 K, which will set you up for another six months. So yeah. it's, it, it, I, in my opinion, it's a bit risky because you could like, potentially you could go for a little bit without discovering anything, or you might be heading in the right direction and someone else is actually, uh, after that bug and he just discovers it a day before you and then your three months worth of work are gone. So yeah. it is a bit risky. <laughs> you're not really, yeah, you're, you're not guaranteed in a job. Obviously you might be paid less, but it's, it's more secure. You could go for bounties while you're in jobs. A lot of the time, a lot of jobs don't ask you uh, to not, uh, work with bounties. So you could do both right. at the same time if you wanted to. It, it, this is more of a personal choice, but I think if you, if you're asking, can you do bug bounty full-time? Yes, you can. There's lots of people doing it and they're actually earning really good income. It's possible, but it's, it's a personal choice. Do you want to do it or not? That's up to you. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, it's also like your risk tolerance is a part of this, right? Because as us owning our own businesses, our risk tolerance is a, is a lot higher than someone who yeah. might be comfortable in a job. But I would also say, look at your own evidence. If you have never successfully finished a bounty and got the money, then you probably shouldn't try that full time, right? Like, uh, yeah, uh, yes. yeah, good idea. Like, but like if you're, we could, yeah, if we'd like a uh, part time and see how it goes. And then yeah. if you're really good. Yeah. Yeah. That, that makes sense. Yeah. It might be harder than you think it is. There's a reason these things are paid so much money is not because it's because most people can't, can't find them. Wired, Wired had a really great article recently, by the way, on their, some of their like OS hacking teams or whatever, like the, I don't know if you saw that. Yeah, I got to bring that up just because I thought it was pretty cool. I'll, I'll look it up later while you're talking on something, but that's a good article I want to throw out there because it, it, I learned a lot from them just talking about the people, the people that are doing this, right? The people that are hired to do this and, and working full-time in companies 
at just trying to find vulnerabilities. And you know, some of the big companies can do this. So yeah. most companies can't pay for it. All right, next question. We would love to hear about your journey from student to pro hacker and establishing such a company. Okay, that could take some time. Should I, I should pass forward the channel? <laughs> so it all started when you were a baby. <laughs> <laughs> I actually was pretty young when I was interested in it. I think I mentioned this now a few times. I get asked that question a lot. So yeah, um, was young, I think first class, they call it here first class. So you'd be, I think about 13 years old, 12 years old, um, challenge between me and my friend back in the Yahoo Messenger days to hack into each other's Yahoo Messenger. I hacked into his, enjoyed it. I felt it was really cool. So I started learning more about it. And then I discovered you can actually do this for a living. So I was like, okay, that's all I want to do for a living. And yeah, so from there, I was involved into lots of hacking communities. So contributing pretty much for free all the time and all that. But that helped me build up a name for myself. So eventually I started working in, an, in a cybersecurity company even before going to college. So even before studying computer science, I was actually working as a pen tester, which is what I wanted to do. But I went to college because I felt I'll learn more and I'll have this as a backup plan in case I, my income wasn't great or something happened. I can always just go back and work in whatever degree I get. I studied computer science because I felt that would be very relevant to ethical hacking and cybersecurity and actually turned out to be very relevant. So even though we didn't do a lot of security topics in there, it helped me understand how the lots of systems are designed and how they work and how things integrate, integrate with each other. Obviously learned more about programming and all that, more about networks. So things really clicked uh, like a puzzle much, much better after that. And as throughout college, throughout the four years, I continued working with iSecurity as a pen tester, and I actually published two courses throughout that time as well, teaching. So by the time I graduated, I got offered a job with Fidelity. I don't know if you, you, you should, yeah, look it up. It's, it's a big company as a pen tester, dream job. That's all I wanted to do, but I felt like I can take a risk at the time because I just graduated from college. I'm used to having low income. So even if I go for a year with pretty much no or very low income, just from the income I make from my security, it was fine. And I thought in 10 years when I'm 30 or 35, nearly 30 now, well, when I'm 30 or 35, it'll be harder to take that risk because obviously I'll have more bills and I'll have more responsibilities at the time. Yeah. I decided to actually take the risk then because even if my own company or whatever idea I had, if it doesn't work, it's fine. I can survive for a year and then go apply for a job. So I said no to the Fidelity job, started my own business and it did well. So here we are. That's actually a pretty cool story. I didn't know all of that. So that, that helped me too. Real quick, there's some questions in chat. Definitely some people know you on Udemy because they're asking about stuff on Udemy. You can also get him on his website, but you know, he has a half a million students, people. That's crazy. And everything about ethical hacking, Python, it's just a ton of stuff here. So one of the questions in chat was, what language must we take after taking your Python programming course? Are you, is Python the only language you're teaching on here? I mean, I. I don't yeah, I only keep Python programming yet. Yeah. So learning languages, and I think yeah, I, I'm interested to see what's your opinion in this as well. But in my opinion, there's no point of just stacking up different programming languages. If you know how to program properly in one language, you should be able to learn other languages quickly and pick it up and build whatever you want to build. And in my opinion, each language excels in a certain uh, field or in a certain goal. So depending on what on your goal, pick up a language that helps you do your goal and then just learn it as you go. If you learn Python now from one of my courses, you really don't need to go and take more programming 
courses unless you actually need to learn that language for a specific goal that you're trying to achieve. So a lot of people ask me about like, what's the best language? And I was like, well, you can go for the most popular language if you're trying to look for a job and you're trying to, and you're, you want to be the most marketable, but that's probably going to be Java. So that may not be the thing that you want to do. It might be the most useful thing, but the, each one of these tools, the more you learn of a language, the more likely another language is going to be easier to learn. Anyway, I find that after 25 years of doing this, learning something new like that, it's more about learning the ecosystem than it is just the the yeah. to curly brackets and the, where the square brackets go and how do you do a for each statement? And like, those are the things that you learn, but that's pretty quick to learn. It's really about the, you know, when I went to node for the first time and I was going from C sharp to node JS, I had to learn like NPM and what NPM packages were good and how I, which ones I should use and how that whole ecosystem worked. And that spent, I spent more time on that than learning JavaScript, I think, because it, it yeah, because the, the right way. You already know what are and what conditional statements are and all that basics. That's it. So you're done with that. So once you learn that, once you're, you've learned it. Yeah. Like I might be able to read Python all day long, but I don't know how to build a properly secure web server on Python because I don't know what the right packages are, which ones are up, which ones are up to date, what extra things do I always need on top of that? That's, that's to me the nebulous, that's why you take a course in my opinion. Like you can learn a language you, pretty but, quick. But it's not very quickly now that because you know programming and you know, right. you've built it in other languages, you know, you know what to look for. So even like yeah. I said, you don't know what packages, but. Then you can all go on Google, latest Python, whatever package, yeah. and then you'll see the first result. Yeah. And I would say, because this, I get this question a lot in DevOps, like, because people that are in the middle there, but there are a little bit of operations, a little bit of development, they often think they need to know languages really well, which in most cases they actually don't. They just, they need to be able to read code, but they, yeah. but in a DevOps role or specifically in someone who's taking code and turning it into production quality systems. You usually need to know package managers m much more than you need to know the code itself. So you need to know how do I how do I install the dependencies? How do I properly how, what permissions do I need to set on these directories and files to make the the dependencies work? And so for a lot of them, I, I always tell them learn one language, and then once you get into a job, you probably know like the team will be using languages, and you'll know that you need to learn that one probably to help yeah. them with their stuff. So that'll be. Uh, a weekend probably or two, and you'll be you'll be at it. Yeah, yeah, you definitely don't have to be an expert to be able to just to work in the DevOps or, uh, field or something like that. Yeah. All right. Yeah. The average payment of a pen test. That's an interesting question. I don't know. I'm sure that there's all prices. For a pen tester or for an actual pen test? I think. I'm going to guess an actual pen test. Yeah, yeah. It depends on the size of the company or yeah. Yeah. And what they want, how many systems. Yeah. yeah the scope. Yeah. Well, while we were talking about it earlier, I want to make sure I get this in there because I was remembering. So there's a Wired article, Maddie Stone. So she's a, she's a, a bug hunting engineer at Google. And it's, it's kind of, it's just a profile piece on her living out in California, working for Google, hacking stuff for a living. And it, the, the article is really cool because it kind of goes into breaking down the, the stereotype of what a hacker is and what a bug hunter, bug hunter might be. But yeah. then it doesn't have to be like this, this guy in a hoodie that sits in a dark room and <laughs> doesn't see the sun. With the green terminal. Yeah. I mean, there, there are those, but anyone can do it. It doesn't, the background and who you are as a person doesn't define whether or not this is an option for you, which is good because I think there's a lot of people that are interested in this stuff, but don't know how to get into it. And I thought that was a pretty cool piece they did on. 
on us. Yeah, yeah. I mean, a lot of, there's lots of stuff about hacking where like people think you have to be a genius or like super intelligent to be a hacker, but it's not, it's, it's a skill. Like you go, you learn it. And if you put enough time and effort, you're going to learn it and you'll be good at it. It's just like picking up any other skill. Ooh, what is the hardest thing you ever, you guys faced when you got started? The hardest thing. Business related or uh, I guess this is a business question, isn't it? No, I was assuming it was, it was career, but it could be either. Like you, you do you, what, what do you, th- <laughs> how do you Business want to answer? Related, I think it was the, um, because I had to start everything. There was a lot at the time I had to make decisions. Like I had to improvise and I had nobody to go and ask because if you're working in a company, you always have your team leader and then the team leader has the CEO and has whatever. Uh, whereas there was lots of, in my, in my case, like I was in terms of the skills, I was happy with the skills that I have. But then again, there's so much more than just knowing what you're doing. If you want to start a successful business and, uh, these were, the, that was the trickiest part still is the trickiest part. Sometimes I'm sitting here and I'm not really sure what's the next move or how to react to a certain event. But yeah, it's, it's part of the fun. That's not always the same. So I'm happy with it. Yeah. How to stay updated, updated in the field of cybersecurity and hacking. You just follow all the, you know, news websites and conferences and you have black hat and yeah. DEF CON and all that. They always uh, publish all the talks, even though if you couldn't make it, usually there's lots and lots of good stuff in there. Yeah. Just follow with whatever websites that keep posting about that stuff. Follow that security. We'll keep you updated. It's funny because I'm thinking, well, it would de- the the decade that you asked that question would would change the answer. I, so I got I'm a little old. So you can y- you all out there that haven't been on this channel before, you can see I got a little gray beard in me. Back in the '90s, and I got my first computer late '80s, around 1990. And back then, this was it. Like hacking was not a co- common vernacular, and the 2600 magazine, which you could. They didn't have a website because we barely had the internet as available to consumers. So you could, you have to go to like a comic book shop or something like that. And they might have, it's a little magazine and, and they're still around. They're still kicking it 30 years later. Yeah. Yeah. It's where I learned about freaking for the first time and how to Captain Crunch and like all the celebrities of the eighties and nineties that were hacking phone systems, which was really kind of like, that was the internet before was internet was figuring out how to hack the phone system and get free long distance. And make phone calls and all that. So this thing is still well, around. Our website uh, was called now, now it's, well, it's been a while that it's gone. It's called, it was called Millworm. It's very similar team. It doesn't work anymore. It's gone. Oh, it's gone. Uh, yeah. You have exploit DB now. So it used to share all like the new exploits and vulnerabilities and some, some papers and stuff. So that's my back in the day kind of thing. <laughs> What's crazy is they still make a magazine. This is like how cool they, they are. Yeah, they still have a, cool. yeah, they're still there. Yeah. It's always been known as the hacker quarterly. So if you like paper and you are tired of reading the internet every day, all day, I would highly recommend just supporting them, getting a subscription. You can, you can get something in the mail. That's not a bill or spam <laughs> or, or whatever. So it would be, it's, it's kind of fun to go retro and have uh, a real thing in the mail that you can sit around and read. I forget the last time I actually saw them in the real world because I stopped subscribing to magazines many, many years ago. And I don't, you used to go to like a Barnes and Noble or some sort of bookstore and they would be, since they were smaller than all the magazines, they'd often get hidden in the back or they'd be thrown with the comics. The people that were created, that were 
running the retail didn't even know what this thing was. What is a hacker quarterly? So they didn't know if it was comic or if it was what it was. So they would always put it in the wrong place. It was, it was kind of crazy back then. But I, I think I learned my first set of like programming and it was like a lot of DOS stuff. Cause this was back in like early windows days, pre windows 95. So you would, you would see cool. stuff about DOS or something like that. It was a lot of fun. Anyway, I'm showing my age. Let's get back to some questions. I'm a fresh graduate who just graduated from information technology degree. May I know how to find a good path to get a job related to cybersecurity? I bet you get that question every time you're live on the internet. I, I do get it often. I actually have a video, how to become a hacker. And it basically says, which, what should you do in different stages? So whether you just graduated or if you're still in school, or if you're actually working in IT and you want to work as a hacker. But anyway, the, the, the answer to someone who just graduated, in my opinion, is to get a graduate position. So that would have been similar to what I got offered in Fidelity. So you'll actually work as a pen tester. Uh, you will get paid um, an entry position, but you will be paid. And it's usually not bad. At the same time, they will train you and they'll even pay for you to go and get certificates like the OSCP and other CCNA and other good certificates in the field. So if you just graduated, I think this is the best thing to do because you're also with all of these perks, you're also getting into the industry. So you're already now at a junior position as a pen tester. So the next step is a more senior position. Yeah. You've got such a great amount of stuff on your YouTube channel. I had a feeling that you were going to say, I got a video on that. Cause if you just kind of scroll through. I usually make videos on the questions I get asked the most because it makes sense. And sometimes it's hard to, it's better to answer a question in a video, especially if people ask about it a lot. So it's easy, even easier to tell them to go watch the video because right. they'll actually get a better answer as well. A 15 or 20 minute answer or something instead of a two minute answer. Yeah. Well, I had a burning question, so I'm going to be selfish for a minute and, and change the topic because we've got some great questions. We'll get into, we'll get to them in a little bit, but as someone who's helping companies deploy software, I'm kind of curious about where, where, you know, I understand how all the security knobs on Docker and containers and like where I need, maybe not all of them, but I, I feel like I know it pretty well. In fact, I've got, for those of you that have not been on this channel and you're interested in things like Docker and Kubernetes and container security, I have a, I have a URL, brett.show slash security first. This actually goes to a question I get a lot about how do I lock down Docker? How do I keep it secure? How do, what are all the things I should turn on? And, and the way that I approach, well, really any system security, assuming, so you got a program that's running on a server somewhere. I'm not going to focus on desktop and that stuff. No, none mobile, just my world is servers on the internet or servers and data centers, usually Linux, but not always sometimes windows. And so I always look, I always go down my, my mental framing of this answer is about the biggest bang for the buck and the easiest. So there's two factors to me, how, how, what's the likelihood that this will actually improve real world security versus theoretical security? Cause I know a lot of things are like, you can turn that knob, but it's not really, it's very rare that that's ever going to be exploited. And then how easy is it for me to implement in the team or on the systems and the caveats of all that? So I. So for those of you watching, I put it in the chat that I, it's a refined list that people keep coming at me with. And we just go, it used to be top 10. Now it's like a top 15. And it's really focusing specifically on Docker and containers and Linux. And the, and basically the top one is the one you approach first. And then by the time you get to the bottom, you're dealing with like full pipeline, SHA hashing of code to guarantee that nothing's changed in production. We call that content trust and secure pipelines. 
to make sure that what's running on the server is actually what you committed in your Git uh, code and all that stuff. So it gets really complicated down at the bottom. We talk about rootless stuff in there, about not running as root because Docker by default runs as root. So once I've done that, and I, so assuming that I understand my system, the real question that I was wanting to talk about was like, you as a pen tester, if you're coming into my company and I'm going to set up an imaginary scenario, like I've got, uh, it's a typical web solution. So it's got a web front end, a web, a web API. It's probably got a database backend, maybe something that's like a queue system. So I've got some ports open, but they're probably going to be HTTP primarily. If I'm bad at this, I probably have accidentally opened up some database ports. Um, Assuming this is on inside a private cloud or or inside of a data center, what would you from the outside like if you're if you have no access to my systems, I didn't give you a, an account. How would you do? You have like a top three things that you'd probably be looking at to see if they're like the common, the common ways that people would exploit my system. Yes. Yeah, I actually sometimes get asked uh, a lot of the time as well. They're saying, "Oh, in your course, you don't cover Docker, so it's not like the latest." It doesn't matter. Okay, well. Right. And it matters that like Docker and other technologies, they do have their own weaknesses and their own vulnerabilities. But in real life, and you know this, if you're deploying or if you're running an actual proper platform or website or service, you always will make sure you have the latest version of whatever software that you need. So whether it's Docker, whether you're running Apache, your own web server, your own Linux, you will, the, the least you could do is make sure that you're up to date. Therefore, this makes the whole kind of what it's running kind of irrelevant because unless you have your own private vulnerability or if you're able to actually dig into Docker and discover an actual zero-day exploit that nobody has discovered right. before, it's irrelevant that it's running Docker because to be honest with you, I don't think if I can discover an actual vulnerability in Docker that nobody has discovered yet. And even if I can, it'll take me way too long than uh, the pen test would take me. So when I'm going on a pen test, I'm not going to try to discover vulnerabilities in Docker because if I can do that, I can submit it to them and just get a bounty for it or even go sell it on the darknet and make a lot of money. So that's right. not my... I'm going to see what you have installed on your Docker. And therefore, whether it's installed on a Docker or a normal Linux, it's really not going to make a difference. So you're going to have some kind of a web server installed there. You sit on HTTP. I'm going to see what web server it is. I'm assuming it's going to be up to date because that's what that's the least you could do again. So I'll still just check what it is, make sure that there's no weaknesses in it. There won't be. Um, then I'm going to go on the web applications uh, installed on this web server. And usually this is where you find most vulnerabilities because the attack surface expands depending on whatever your developers have developed. And because your developers, uh, it, it, it goes through a number of things. They could be behind deadlines. They, they, they could miss things. Uh, they could overlook things. There is a very high chance of me discovering a weakness in there. And then I would use that weakness to, it depends on what it is, if, it, if it's an SQL injection or if it's a uh, uh, privileges, whatever it is that allows me to gain whatever access I can and see if I can escalate this access to higher access, if it lets me find any kind of user information or if I can get the admin password or if I can change the password. Can I change this with a social engineering attack? So I might not actually find a vulnerability that lets me get the password for the admin, for example, but I might be able to chain it with some attack that will make me steal the admin's cookies and then log in with the admin's cookies, stuff like that. Yeah. That's kind of, I'm glad you're saying all this because I think 
to a certain extent, like once you've done your due diligence on understanding the proper security knobs in a system, I, I've been under the assumption that a lot of it's just relating to your app. Like it, it's, it's, and the, the reality is like me being in the, in the real world, unless you're, when you hire a pen testing company, typically it's kind of like before a, a financial audit, right? Like you're not going to ask for that and pay for that and not have updated your stuff. Typically, yeah. you know, yeah. So it's going to be the most secure before you've paid for a pen test or a financial audit or any type of audit. So my experience in the real world is it's a shit show out there and nobody's really up to date. Like no one is current. Every application is at least one patch level old. I feel like a lot of companies and it's hard. I mean, I'm, I have sympathy because it, and the business is still trying to move forward and usually to update things for most companies requires downtime. Like most people are not still on the five nines internet, always up vulnerable type of type of workload. Most people are still very traditional outage windows, multi-hour windows to kind of things. And even if you had the latest kernel patches on Linux and then the latest Docker release and then the latest version of Apache, you're probably on an outdated version of PHP in Apache or a old version of the PHP add-in that you're using, like to keep all these things. I mean, in, in an average size team that I'm working with, it's maybe 20 people. There are hundreds of dependency packages that they don't even write between the kernel and the, the web server and the language and the packages and the dependencies. If you're in Node.js land, for example, my typical company's probably got a gigabyte worth of JavaScript dependency libraries, usually mm. 50 to a hundred of them. And how could any, like it's, we're setting ourselves up essentially. <laughs> this internet thing of ours may not actually turn out to be a good, a great idea because it, we're setting ourselves up for any system can be hacked. It's just a matter of time. Yeah. It's just, you know. It is like, a matter of time. What I meant also by the latest update isn't the latest, latest update that they released, but I mean, the latest update that does not have any critical vulnerabilities. Because uh, I noticed that people are actually, like lots of companies, at least the good ones, would be, at the latest update that doesn't have anything critical. So anything right. that would let me, you know, gain access to you like this. Because there are like you every now and then you do get vulnerabilities that literally I need a few commands and I'm in. And you don't really find these a lot in the real world. You find them in CTFs and capture the flag competitions. But in the real world, you don't find them that much. At least with big companies. Now you do find them a lot with like smaller stuff. If you're searching, there's a thing they call it dorking, where you basically just go in and search for vulnerable servers. You will find lots of vulnerable servers, but like finding it in your target, it's it's it, the chances get much lower. Yeah, yeah, I'd say that. I mean, obviously, if you're if your job is to find vulnerabilities, it's probably going to be harder than if you're just randomly looking for the weakest link on something. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I'd say that those of you, I mean, there's, we've probably got two, at least two sets of audiences here in the chat. Those people that are, that are here to defend and they're from a, maybe from a DevOps perspective and they're, they're managing systems and their, their job is to protect those systems and protect the code on it. And then there's probably people that are in the security industry that are maybe their job is to point out flaws, to find flaws, stuff like that. Mm. And the, the reality is it's hard on both sides. And it is, it is especially hard for the defenders because in my world, the velocity of software change is basically everything we do now isn't fast enough. No matter how, if you yeah, can, I, if you I can update really, every day. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah. I mean, you're constantly being pressured to go faster and faster to release more often. And that always requires a compromise of some sort. And it typically requires a compromise in security. However, at the same time, I feel like we're, you know, now that we have these, we have better tooling. If people are new to this channel, you can go back. We had, we've had Sneak on this channel, SNYK. They're a, a security company that helps you scan code. This concept that we call shift left security, where you're you're basically trying to put the security tools in the hands of developers. So there's a great tool, for example, for VS Code, the Visual Studio Code Editor that's open source, that will actually in Node.js, look at all your dependencies in real time while you're in the editor and tell you how many critical uh, CVEs there are for that version of the dependency that you maybe have pulled down from the internet. And it'll show you in your editor so that the developer knows, oh, wow, I'm about, I don't want to submit this code. It's probably going to, it's going to be flagged by security. True. But see, the, yeah, that's, that's, that's good. But then, then again, the developer can still make mistakes that will make your application oh, yeah. vulnerable. Yeah. So that's, that's the other problem other than the CVE. The CVE does solve a lot, but doesn't solve everything. Yeah. It, it is actionable intelligence though. And I think that's one of the challenges I have is you being working in security. From my point of view, there's a lot of security theater in the marketplace, right? Like the scare tactics of like, you got to buy our tool. You know, there's so many yeah. companies out there that are uh, on the fear, uncertainty, and doubt pipeline of, of selling their, their, their goods. So, yeah, and there's been lots of companies that would market their software as get this and it'll automatically scan everything and you don't need a pen test. But then again, they're going to scan the CVEs and all that, but they're not really going to mimic what an actual hacker will do. The hacker will not use one of these tools. Yeah, he might use them if he was lazy or just as a double check. But when like, at the moment, I don't think our AI is as smart as the humans that we have. I think we can all right. agree. For an actual human, testing your software will always be better than all of these tools because the human might also and will also be using other tools that will enhance his skills. So the human will always be better right now yeah. until yeah. somebody comes with proper AI. Yeah. The, I mean, when you look at a lot of these big, these big hacks, when it comes to a lot of this stuff, it ends up just being social engineering in, in a lot of cases. And yeah. the, the, the automated tools seem to be pretty good at essentially just finding unpatched systems and then, and exploiting yeah, yeah. those. Yeah. And CVs and all that. Yeah. Yeah. So when you, when you do a pen test or some sort of audit and evaluation of a, a team, if you're, if you're focused on people like myself, which is largely what people that show up in this channel or people that are responsible for deploying software onto servers that run for customers, do you have a top five defensive, these are the things you probably should have. Should you have an antivirus scanner on every server? Should you have a continual sort of CVE scanning thing, or there's like other tools like that in the, in the ecosystem that you kind of expect as part yeah, of the checkoff list. There are, there are lots of tools actually that would, yeah, they, they, you can schedule them and you can program them in a way that they will always scan your system every X amount of days. And there's ones that would scan it every update. So in case, you know, you push some new feature or whatever, they'll automatically, it'll automatically trigger whatever scans you have and you can configure them to scan like specific parts of your code and even run specific attacks you can manually you know if you have a certain input and you can actually manually program it to test that input so whenever you update what the value en entered in that input how that value is handled you can have that test automatically run so there's yeah there's all sorts of tools like this but then again in my opinion 
uh, these are good to maintain whatever system you have, but at the start, you need to have your pen test and then maintain it this way or maintain it with a bug bounty. A lot of the, a lot of the time people think, oh, I'll have a bug bounty and I won't need a pen test. No, a bug bounty is good to maintain what you have, but you need to start with a good pen test at least, at least like at the start. That's the minimum you could do. Kind of a baseline, right? Like we're, yeah. this is where we're going to start from. Yeah. Yeah. I like it. Uh, well, we've got a ton of questions in chat. Do you think bug bounty hunting or having security issues gets harder and more rare because most frameworks and tools are getting more mature or will new vulnerabilities always be introduced? Yeah, I, I think new vulnerabilities will always be introduced. The bigger, the, because the, like you said, there's always a push for having more features and faster systems and all that, but these also uh, introduce other problems and other vulnerabilities that could happen. I think it became harder to find the vulnerabilities, but it didn't become, the vulnerabilities didn't decrease. It's just mm. harder to find them and harder to test for them. But then again, there's better tools that we have right now as hackers to automate a lot of the tasks and to do different types of puzzling and all that. The, both teams, like you said, they actually call them red team and blue team when it comes to hacking. I don't like that term. I don't like to use it. I like to call yeah. it hackers and security. <laughs> Because I, I feel like the red team term came up because of the luck that the word hacker gets. Yeah. But I think yeah. there's nothing wrong with being a hacker. I, yeah. In my world, red red and blue is a common term as well. And I, I've never really settled on any one thing for myself. It's just, every, I find every team has their own terminology and I'm just, I'll just adopt. As the consultant, I just adopt whatever they... Yeah, those are really matter, yeah. Yeah. You have an interesting... We all love stories about real world stuff. I love to talk about my biggest failures, like the things that I broke the most, like the day that I uh, broke the, the Netflix blog, you know, stuff like that, that I was in charge of that I made mistakes on. Cause we all make mistakes in, in tech. And I think talking about our mistakes and uh, so do you have a memorable story that, I mean, around, I mean, I'm, I'm assuming that, uh, vampire is talking about pen testing possibly or something like that. Do you have a, a cool story you it's can tell? that I can talk about because you know a lot of the time you're not really supposed to talk about what it is or maybe a yeah. bug bounty that you've seen or was involved with in any way or something that maybe wasn't under NDA <laughs> <laughs> nothing that's that interesting like it's yeah there was pen tests where we found what we were supposed to find and it was mm -hmm. cool to get in but yeah I mean nothing nothing that you would see in movies or whatever there's no enhance and the yeah, I mean, there was always challenges where people were. I think the story that I told was a a story of a friend. Uh, he didn't know that I I that that was before I started the company or worked as a hacker. I was still a college student, and he was bragging about how secure his whatever platform he built recently, and he got oh, hackers yeah. to test. And I was like, okay, well, what if I hack it? And he was like, well, I'll pay you a thousand dollars. I was like, okay, cool. Give me the URL. Next day, I sent him a video of me in the database. And he was like saying all kinds of things. I was like, ah, oh, forget about it. It's fine. Uh, but yeah, these kind of stories are fun. Well, yeah. Yeah. thousand dollars in beer, please. I take my <laughs> payment in beer. I, yeah. I always, when I ask, like, did you, have you ever dropped a hydra behind the firewall? I don't know if you know that quote from Swordfish, which is an old movie with. I know uh, Swordfish. Yeah. 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 You yeah have you seen, seen in that movie? He's like, there's a cube. I don't know what he's trying to do to the cube, but once he solves the cube, he hacks into the system. Yeah. All I know is, is that every time he refers to, he refers to a T3, like it's super fast. And those of us in networking know that a T3 is basically 50 megabits. If I remember yeah. correctly, I could be wrong. I'm actually a little outdated on that. 
And nowadays, when, when you're lucky enough like me to get gigabit Verizon Fios in your house and you're like that, why don't I have the setup he has? I need eight monitors, but then the reality is, is his monitors were like 15 inches so that he needed eight monitors to make the same size monitor that we had. That, that movie yeah, didn't age well. Good movie, but uh, the hiking parts of it are not realistic at all. Yeah. What are there? I think the one, this is the question of what are the, what certifications are there in the field of like, I guess we're talking about security and pen testing. What are some of the, what are, what are some of those ones that people need to look at if they're, if they're looking to certify up and sort of add on yeah, to their credentials? Yeah, there's lots of certifications, depends on what level and what you're going for. Lots of people look at CEH as the entry level. I don't really think it's worth the time, even though you will get jobs with it because the HR looks for it, but it doesn't really teach you any useful skills. OSCP, in my opinion, would be the first entry-level cert that you need to think of because it mm. will get you through the HR barrier and it will actually teach you skills. And then there is like, you know, you can stack up on it as much as you need. Uh, the, the, the advice that I always give to people, again, similar to the languages, don't take this as a task of stacking up as much certificates as you need. Um, see what what you have what kind of experience do you have and what degrees do you have right now you might actually not need any certificates to get an entry position like i said that that might be enough to just keep you in the field without having to get any of these certificates so it really depends on you oscp is a really good one though that will teach you the skills and will also get you open up a lot of doors for you nice we get the certification question a lot in devops and the problem is i'm going to guess it's similar to security where there are so many types of job roles that it's hard to define. It almost is like, well, what exactly is the job you're looking for? And then let's go after the, the certifications that are specifically around, you know, some certifications are around tooling, like a specific tool that you need to know, a different company's product, and some are more industry generics. And I tend to, I tend to go toward the industry stuff like you're talking about that is more broader than, and then once you get in the role, or if you're like, I want to work at Google and I want to work on this team. You're going after the job you want and you're specifically yeah. targeting something. Then you kind of can know what tooling certs or what cloud you need to certify in or what, whatever the tool is you might care about. Mm -hmm. Competitive coding. That's an interesting question. Is competitive coding necessary for cybersecurity? I don't, what is competitive coding? I don't, I um, guess competing to write better, more, <laughs> better code. I'm not sure what that means. Yeah. Uh, yeah. A lot of people looking for the best thing, the best university, the best course, the best cert, the best. Go to zsecurity.org. The best everything is there. Yeah. The best <laughs> everything. So everybody scroll up and chat, look for the zsecurity.org. Can cloud really help organization getting hacked a lot? So I feel like cloud is another, I, I, you know, I need to make a video of me ranting about all of these new, not new terms, but some, uh, some of the terms that I don't like. Cloud is one of them. Then blue team is the other. Like, what is cloud? We had cloud before cloud became a thing. Uh, it, it was Apple that the first people that started calling things cloud. I think it was Apple. It's Apple's fault. Honestly, you know, I don't know who. Who, who I mean, like started calling servers on the internet cloud? Amazon, as far as I know. I mean, that my memory is that, yeah, AWS came out in 2007. They were the first. They were the first internet provider to actually kind of automate the task of setting up a server for you, giving you a dedicated OS and all that stuff. I don't, the cloud? I don't know if they did. I don't know if they did. We'd have to look that somebody, somebody in chat's probably going to look that up and tell us. <laughs> anyway, yeah, my answer is cloud doesn't really change anything. A cloud existed for very long. Cloud is when we have a server on the internet and everybody can access it. So having a 
vulnerable application on the cloud doesn't make it more or less secure. It's the same application accessible on the internet. Yeah. I mean, from my point of view, as someone who is responsible for servers and putting them in networks and getting customers access to them through firewalls, I would say that it largely depends on the expertise on your, of your team. So if you have old apps on old servers in an old data center and nobody's updating them and nobody's updating it, putting that in the cloud may or may not help. It actually kind of depends because are you good at Amazon Web Services, AWS is cloud? If you're good at that and then you take that stuff from the data center and then you improve the security by putting in proper firewalling on AWS and, and, and modernizing the infrastructure by using newer versions at Linux. And you, you, sure, you can improve it, but cloud is just a tool. Cloud is like every other yeah. tool. You can, you can yeah. use it for good. You can use it for bad. You can make it insecure. You can make it better secured, a little bit tighter security. You can enable things that will protect it a little bit better. And you can um, break them. And you can break it. Yeah. So it, I've seen setups where people have data centers and the data centers are the worst, right? Like they, they have a private data center, but they probably would be better because that if they put it in the cloud, only because they don't have the expertise or the staff to run their own data center. Yeah. 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 And, and the cloud maybe assuming they had the same level of knowledge, the cloud would be easier because they're not having to install their own switches and maintain their own hardware racks and like swap power supplies when they break. Like they, they can take all their staff and apply it to turning all the security knobs in AWS. But, you know, you know, there are companies like Apple, I know, I talked to someone at Apple a couple of years ago, and they are, like a lot of these big companies, they're very heavily invested in their own private data centers. And you don't hear about Apple getting hacked a lot. So we might assume that from that, that you could just take away data centers are the safer place. But you've also got companies like Netflix and that runs an entire global enterprise with hundreds of millions of accounts. And they don't get regularly hacked that we know of, and they're running almost exclusively in Amazon. So you, you can look at, you can make a use case for any one of these scenarios. I think, I don't, yeah. I don't think that any one tool. It depends on how you run it and configure it. And yeah. Yeah. So I hope that helps. Oh, I already, I already lost it in chat. <laughs> we have already lost it in chat. Whoever you are, let's see what else we got. Ooh, looks like uh, System Exploited looking it up. The notion of network computing dates back to the 1960s of network-based computers in the 1960s, but, but many believe the first use of cloud computing in its modern context occurred on August 9th, 2006. So that's probably, that's around the time that Amazon came out with their cloud because they beat Microsoft to the punch. This is way before Google Cloud. Yeah. We had had servers on the internet before then, but it was like Bluehost or Rackspace, a lot of those companies. And it was just, you were using Jails or Solaris Zone. You were using some sort of restricted user space thing and you really didn't get a full OS. Anyway. Yeah. Paul, Paul's remembering ECS to use that term. Amazon's ECS yeah. to, yeah. That's, that was my memory too. And now, I mean, a lot of these terms in the industry get, once a term becomes like a zeitgeist, a popular culture thing, like hacking or cloud. Yeah. The, the, everyone misuses it. Everyone uses it for everything. It, it means nothing anymore. In interviews, most companies ask me how much I expect to get paid. I have no industry experience, but what is the normal range salary for a junior pen tester position? Depends on the country that you're in. And yeah, I, I can tell you what it is in Ireland, which is about the 30 to 40K. But for a junior, we said entry level. But I don't know. Depend, it really depends on the country. Yeah. Even in America, it depends on the, it depends on the city. A lot of places in America, if you're 
if you get a job in San Francisco, you get paid a lot more than where I'm living in a, a smaller area because San Francisco, the cost of living is you know, different. So c- companies will do adjustments, especially large companies. They'll do yeah. regional based stuff. Yeah. Yeah. There's salary websites. I'd say just go look at the yeah, Glassdoor. Which one do you? Yeah, Glassdoor is the last one I, I mean, I haven't had to, haven't had a full-time job in a decade. So the last time I worked for someone else, I did, I think it was Glassdoor. Yeah. Now, I mean, like questions like this are silly. I'm never going to ask Zaid if he's ever done an illegal hack. Why would he ever, why would he? I'm in this for so long. I read it like a thousand times now. (laughs) He's trolling. Uh, Yeah. Yeah, this is, uh, yeah. Have you ever done an illegal hack? Okay, first off, go watch his video on how hacking is, is, can be legal. Yeah. yeah. This question on should organizations move to VMs to mitigate against APTs? I'm assuming you mean apt gets. I'm not sure, like an apt package manager. I'm not sure what APTs are. Do you, is that something that means something I, to you? I don't know. Well, I don't know why is that something to mitigate against? You, yeah. You're the DevOps guy. Is that, is that a thing? For what is, is what a thing? App? Get? Yeah. Is that a problem? Would be a problem? I don't see it as a, it's just a, yeah, it's just a package. I mean, if you're on a yeah. VM, presumably it's, if it's a, you're going to be using apt or yum, if you're on Linux or APK, yeah. if you're on Alpine Linux. Yeah. But I can't see it being uh, a problem. Oh, here's, is an information security degree worth it? I'll, I'll take this one. Uh, a degree is worth it. If you have the time and the money and the patience and you're going after the type of job that wants a degree. I have never had a degree and I've had a very successful career. And there are plenty of people that I work with that have had degrees that have successful careers. So I didn't know that you don't have a degree, but now I have another example because I have a friend who is very successful and he doesn't have a degree. I always use him as an example, but now I have two examples. Yeah. Degrees are free here. You don't always need to have money to get them dependent on the country that you're in. That's true. That's true. And excellent point about how another strike against America, home of the really expensive education. So actually very expensive. Yeah. I mean, you put, I like me personally, yeah, I do have a degree, but I actually don't use anything that I learned. Yeah. I think it helped, but I don't really use anything that I learned in whatever I'm doing at the moment. Yeah. And, and I have to, I have to admit, I mean, I, I went to the U S Navy, so I had six years of Navy experience doing exactly what I do now, just like the nineties version of it. So I didn't go into the industry with no experience, no certifications or no, yeah. yeah. Experience is the most important. You don't get paid a lot, but you know, you can leave and then have that experience. And I, I, before I left, I went and got some certifications. I actually did them while I was in Italy. So like doing it on an Italian keyboard, <laughs> it was a little hard because I had to actually go to Rome and do the, the Microsoft certifications and the Cisco certifications and things. You uh, speak Italian? No, no. Uh, just a few. I mean, I knew how to order food and drink. You don't speak Italian. No. <laughs> no, no, I learned, I learned like focaccia and, <laughs> and grappa. Yeah. I, I, I love barely... their accent. Bro. Their accent is so good. Mm-hmm. Oh, I had so much fun. I, I mean, I love that place and I look, I look forward to going back. I haven't been there in 25 years pro- or 20 years, but yeah, I got to go back. It's a good place. I, I love uh, Dublin too. So yeah, that's also one of my yeah. favorite places. Yeah. All right. If you fo- start following uh, Z security stuff, you'll see when he goes live and other chances to interact and chat. He also has some online exclu- exclusive security communities in case you go check that out at zsecurity.org, by the way. So one of these, my, my best questions here, because I'm a huge Mr. Robot fan, how realistic is Mr. Robot hacks? They're actually pretty realistic. So I think it's, 
I, I can't think of other shows that showed actually at the Matrix, I think at the start, they have an Nmap scan. So that was realistic, even though the whole movie is fictional or is it? The rest, uh, Mr. Robot, yeah. pretty much everything they show is very realistic. The only thing is they do a lot of word list attacks. Like a lot of the time he's like, oh, this password, that was very easy. Or I ran a word list and I got the password. And in real life, getting passwords is not that easy, like running stuff through word list attacks. But everything he does is like even the hardware that he used actually exists and you can buy it and run it. So yeah, it's pretty cool. I, I'm pretty sure one of the writers is Sammy. Can't remember his second name. I don't know if it's a coincidence that it's the same name as a very famous hacker or if it's actually that hacker. So that's oh. the, I would explain why it's so accurate in terms of the attacks shown. Yeah. I mean, I, I always, always appreciate the level of detail they went into to get I me mean, cause it's hard to make hacking interesting, right? Like real, like if you take a real exploit and a real hack and you actually made a movie out of it, nobody would watch it other than us yeah. super nerds. Cause it'd be super boring. It'd be hours of failures and trying things. And of course in the show, it's the montage of him. I mean, before that, I can remember going back 20 years in 1999 in the movie Matrix, actually it wasn't 99, it was like 2002 or something. I think in the movie Matrix Returns, there he... Returns. I think it was the second one, Matrix. Matrix. Well, now I've the Matrix like 50 times, so don't get anything wrong. Matrix it's, Revolutions? It's, revolutions. Like, attack towards me. Which one are you What's, talking what? about? Second or third? Third is Revolutions. Okay, third, second one. The second is Reloaded. Reloaded, not returns. Yeah. Thank you. So in Reloaded, when they were at the power plant and she dropped, she did like an SSH remote attack, I think. Yeah. Uh, and, yeah. and I just remember at the time that it, it was at least possible. And it was like one of the first times we'd ever heard in a movie of a real, I mean, this was in the era of drop the hydra behind the firewall kind of crap. And yeah. so I was so excited just because they took, they, they actually took the effort to do that. Yeah, I I do like all the details. I love how he you know, pulls out his CDs out of his, you know, all of his CDs in his CD wallet. Because I, those of us that have been around a long time, we have CD wallets. Probably some of us still have them. I actually them. had them as well, even though, yeah. Yeah. Cool. One time I had one stolen out of my car and it had like a hundred CDs in it. All music, not data. Like this was back yeah, then. Yeah. Just but then they stopped working and he wiped them and licked them and do all sorts of crazy <laughs> stuff. And it works for some reason after that. <laughs> yep. I had cleaning cloths, like the spray. Oh boy. Yeah, we're, yeah. We're all right. So we're going to wrap it up. Thank you everyone for showing up. So many great questions. I have a red, by the way, for those of you asking my Raspberry Pis, I have a Raspberry Pi 4. It is my RetroPie gaming machine. I love it. Uh, it. It works with Bluetooth, USB, great Wi-Fi, great H HD video. And it's like a hundred bucks with the whole kit, right? Like it's a pretty, pretty great Raspberry Pi. So I highly recommend them if you want to think to play with. But okay, let's talk about where people can find you on the internet. So in case they, it sounds like everybody's showing up because they already know who you are. So they probably don't need this stuff, but let's, let's review. All right. So we got Z security on Twitter. We got Z security on YouTube. We have Z security, the website. And one of the things that we were talking about, you were teaching me about the other day is you actually have the VIP membership. This is what I want to talk about. So this is a new thing you're doing. So tell me a little bit about this. Yeah. This is just a place for the people that are really interested into hacking and cybersecurity. So it's more of a, like a smaller community. Like I'm very happy uh, about the followers that we have. We have lots of followers, like you see in half a million students. And um, I actually opened this up for a week for everybody. But we, when we did, we had more 1,500 uh, people in, in the discord uh, within a week. So this would have grown for to a really big number. 
if we let that go in. And the whole idea was to keep it small, keep it intimate, keep it to the people that are interested the most. Um, so it had we had to charge a certain amount for that membership because then they also get closer, more intimate access. So that, that was the whole idea. So right now we have that Discord channel where we do all the benefits that you see here. We go live. We instantly are there most of the time, updated with resources. We have we run our own kind of smaller competitions as well. So there's the competitions we see. And sometimes I give competitions of stuff that we're working on or like challenges that we're seeing. They, they get exclusive offers. They get access to the community. They make more friends. And yeah, the idea is for the people that are really interested in this, instead of having a Discord with, because there are lots of Discord channels about cybersecurity. Sure. I don't want to make another one. If you want one, you can go to the other ones. I don't want this to be a place where people ask, how do I hack Facebook? How do I hack Instagram? My girlfriend cheated on me. How do I access her? This is not what we're here for. So yeah, this is a place for the people that are really interested in this, that are taking this seriously or like really like it and they're properly interested in it. Yeah, more intimate, more direct access to everybody in there, to me, the team, and then other uh, similar-minded people. And also, yeah. like I said, lives, we do the competitions and all that. Yeah, that's that's a really cool thing that you're doing because it, it takes a lot of effort to maintain a community like this, especially one that's, you know, that you're, you're basically saying, oh, we're going to, we're going to be there for you. Like, if you want to, if you want to, you want to talk about things, we're not, we're, we're not going to ghost you. And just disappear. Yeah. You know, just sharing jokes in there. Sometimes we do that too. Like it's it's more of a just a community of like-minded people because it's it, it depends. I think in the states there are bigger hacker communities. For example, for me in Ireland, there aren't that many. And in other countries, I'd say it's similar. So it's nice to see, you know, just be connected with similar-minded people and get a few extra things as well with it. Yeah. Yeah, we do on DevOps, we do a similar thing. And by the way, those of you that are patrons of this, channel. Thank you so much for being patrons. We do a similar thing where we do a monthly Zoom call. And it's just kind of like DevOps professionals, you know, server admins, developers that want to just hang out and talk about stuff on a like a, kind of like a water cooler, like hanging out at lunchtime. Yeah. And yeah, so we do that. And we and that's like maybe 12, 20 people, maybe 10 people, just depends on the month. Well, thank you so much for what you do for the community. Uh, your courses are all on Udemy, all, tons of free content, tons of stuff on your website, YouTube videos, all the time. And, and as someone who creates a lot of open source content is what I call it. I really appreciate your, your effort because I, I think the world and the community is a better place because of you. And uh, so thank you for your volunteering to, to do all this. Thank you for your time and thanks for having me here. And uh, so for those of you, where can they, because we know Twitter, we know YouTube, you sometimes go live in your Discord. Is that right? I'm trying to remember. If you yeah, so I do go on Discord live once a month, mainly. And then sometimes we like, so we have a one live that is scheduled and we talk about hacking and all that and it's more face-to-face -face like we're doing here. But then every now and then, sometimes I go live out of nowhere, like when I'm driving or just chilling at home, like you said, just kind of pick it up and go live. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. Thank you so much. And you can find him on Z Security everywhere. Thank yeah. you, Brett, for having me. See you around. Thanks, everybody. Thanks so much for listening and I'll see you in the next episode.